Start the new year in a new ride from the Norm Reed Superstore. Right now is the best time to get the super prices you deserve. Shop our super selection of vehicles at 11 convenient locations. From West Covina to the Cerritos Auto Square, Huntington Beach to the Irvine Auto Center, Vista and San Diego. You're never far from a Norm Reed Superstore. Shop America's most popular brands. Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, Genesis, Volkswagen, Toyota, and Honda. We have all your favorite new models in stock for the new year. Looking to trade? We want to buy your vehicle. Any make, any model, any year. Plus, enjoy total peace of mind with your purchase thanks to our exclusive price protection guarantee. If you can find the same new vehicle for less within five days, Norm Reeves will pay you the difference or buy your vehicle back. It's that simple. Take a test drive today at the Norm Reeves Superstore location closest to you, like the number one Honda retail dealer in the world in the Cerritos Auto Square. Or shop online anytime at normreeves.com. As for Global Honda, new vehicle retail sales 2022. Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. I'm Sandman, and I'll be your host for the next two hours. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for tuning in tonight. Well, of course, you know it's Friday, March the 6th, 2015, and that means it's time for another episode of your favorite show, Parareality Radio. I know it's my favorite show, but my opinion's biased, right? Well, anyway... Tonight's show is about a supposedly top-secret government UFO research project that's really hard to find information about. What I'm talking about here is Project Aquarius. Now, there are all kinds of websites on the internet that contain the supposed leaked documents about it, but even those documents don't really provide very much information on exactly what it was, um, how it came to be, uh, just very vague um, references to stuff like that. And, well, I've been researching this Project Aquarius for about a year now, and I'm really no closer to understanding it than what I was when I began. I seem to keep on finding the same information over and over again, and new info is really hard to come by. What I do have isn't much, but I decided to devote an episode of Parareality Radio to it anyway. Um, I first 
learned about Project Aquarius quite simply by accident, had never heard of it before. And as I dug deeper and deeper into it, like I said, I I, I kept on coming to uh, a dead end. It seems like the, the information on Project Aquarius is very uh, limited. Um, and it led me down uh, quite a few rabbit holes here and there. And um, some of the stuff that I found was uh, completely a dead end. Uh, as really is most, most of the stuff that you can find on Project Aquarius. Not that it's a dead end, but it, it, it just only goes so far. I did manage to make uh, a, a, a contact via email uh, about Project Aquarius who, who has done some uh, research on the topic, uh, a lot more research than I have been looking into it a lot longer than I have, and who filed some Freedom of Information acts about it and, and shared that information with me. Um, I suppose that I could have done my own Freedom of Information Act, but it, it it would have taken a long time like it did this person. There's no way I would be ready to do a an episode of Periality Radio on it like I am right now. So I'm not going to re- reveal the name of my source, um, but I will say that um, it, the information that uh, this person provided me with... Um, thanks to his Freedom of Information Act request, was, um, I'm not going to say extensive, but I, I think it was more than what I would have been able to dig up on my own just using the avenues that I was using. So what I'll do is um, I'll present to you the evidence that I do have. I'll let you make up your own mind about whether or not Project Aquarius was a real thing. And don't forget to stick around for the end of the show for my new segment, Sandman Speaks, where I'll present my personal opinion on tonight's topic. Sorry if I seemed a little distracted there. There are, it's like a couple of dogs that are outside the studio barking, and it really, I know you can hear it because I've got such a sensitive damn microphone. I know you can hear it, and it you know i'm 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 not on street level here i'm i'm up above street level and these dogs are right below um the studio apparently and are barking and driving me freaking insane it seems like they've stopped now thank god maybe they've moved on who knows maybe they were chasing a cat or or something anyway i digress as i'm as you know i'm i'm prone to do so before um I get into tonight's episode and start talking to you about Project Aquarius. Let me tell you how you can get in contact with me here on the show because, as you know, being a loyal listener, that there are several different ways that you can go about doing this. So, first thing that you can do is you can send me an email. My email address is sandman at parareality.com that's sandman at parareality.com or if you uh, don't want to write that down or whatever I don't know maybe maybe it's just too complicated for you or something 
you can visit my website. And of course, the, the website is parareality.com. And my email address and contact info is listed on my website as well. So you can uh, either write it down or just go to parareality.com. Find my web, my, uh, shit, my website, my email address, which is sandman at parareality.com. And I'm also available on Facebook. Just look for sandman.parareality there on Facebook. And uh, I just want to um, address the Facebook thing. I've been off of Facebook for a couple of months. I haven't uh, posted anything there. I got a lot of friend requests that I need to get to and, and a lot of things that I need to do on Facebook. Um, I've had some people, you know, uh, email me and say, hey, what, what, what the heck's going on? Are you not going to be doing Facebook or anything anymore? Yes, I am going to be doing Facebook. I've just had a lot of things uh, going on, and I haven't had the time, actually, to get on Facebook and um, do anything. Um, so I know that there's a lot of friend requests out there. If you have sent me a friend request in the last couple of months and it's gone un unanswered please don't think that i'm ignoring you i've just had uh had to take care of a few things in my personal life and i've had to uh not get on facebook for a little while but i'm, I'm gonna be uh getting back you know this is one of the ways that i promote the show and i haven't been getting on facebook and promoting the show either so i'm gonna get back to that uh, i really need uh, an office assistant so if there's anyone out there in the nashville tennessee area who uh would like to volunteer to be my office assistant. This is a this is a non-paying gig, people. I'm sorry. Um, hell, I don't even get paid to do this gig, so I'm damn sure not going to be able to pay you. But if you want to volunteer, maybe you maybe you need to do it for uh, some sort of uh, school credit, or I don't know. Uh, maybe you need to do community service or something because you got a DUI or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but if 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 you're in the Nashville, Tennessee area, in, in all seriousness. And you would like to help uh, me with this show, please, 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 please uh, get in contact with me. And uh, I will put you to work uh, as my social media person and let you uh, run my Facebook page and uh, maybe help me uh, do some other things. I, I, I do need not just an office assistant. I just need a production assistant, period. Uh, so if you're interested in being a production assistant for Pair Reality Radio and you live in the Nashville, Tennessee area, get in contact with me, sandman at parareality.com. Um, look for sandman.parareality on Facebook, or you can call me in the studio line, 615-692-1170. That number again is 615-692-1170. And uh, leave me a message uh, just be aware, though, if and this is true, you can call this studio line even if you're not looking to be my production assistant. If you just want to leave a comment about the show, just be aware that I may play your comment back on the show here. Just simply leaving me a message is giving me your permission to play your comment or question back on the show. And you never know, I may answer the phone too because I'm always here in the studio working on something that has to do with the show. So you may catch me here in some shape, form, or fashion, and you may just actually get to talk to me um, in person and leave your question or comment with me in person. Um, 
And by the way, I am serious. If there's anyone out there who wants to be a production assistant for Perreality Radio, please, please, please get in contact with me and we'll discuss the possibilities. That's 615-692-1170 on the studio line, sandman.perreality on Facebook, or email me, sandman at parareality.com. So without any further delays, let's get into the pursuit of Project Aquarius. So let me start out with a little background info here. All right. Before I can begin to tell you about Project Aquarius, I must first tell you about a UFO researcher named Paul Benowitz. Paul Benowitz was a UFO investigator who claimed the existence of a plot involving an extensive network of UFO bases tied to an alien colonization and control scheme to subjugate the human race. Um, he saw some uh, hypnosis sessions of a uh, woman by the name of Myrna Hansen, and she claimed to have had uh, UFO experiences, been abducted, and so forth and so on. And after he saw these hypnosis session, sessions, he became convinced that things like cattle mutilations were due to aliens. And as a result, Benowitz claimed to have uncovered evidence of aliens controlling humans through electromagnetic devices, and he furthermore claimed that UFOs were regularly flying near Kirtland uh, and the nearby... Uh, Manzano Nuclear Weapons Storage Facility and uh, Coyote Canyon Test Area out in the Midwest. Um, he actually had a um, a business where he um, sold stuff or built stuff, provided things to NASA. So he was there right outside the Kirtland facility, uh, and uh, it, you know, perfect location to witness strange phenomena in the air. By the way which he often claimed that he did. Now, he was also convinced that um, he was intercepting electronic communications originating from alien spacecraft that were located outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Benowitz also believed that he had located a secret alien facility that he called Dulce Base. And you've probably heard of this. It's been... Um, the last year or so, there's been several um, TV shows that have uh, had a lot to do with Dulce Base, um, especially on the uh, um, History Channel, H2 Channel, Discovery Channel, and uh, I think uh, the American Heroes Channel. Well, what that has to do with American Heroes, I don't know. But anyway, um, he was the, the person that, has, uh, that, that gave Dulce Base its name. And by 1982, Benowitz began to spread his ideas regarding Dulce Base to others in the ufology community. Uh, 1988 rolled around and he wrote a, 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 like a, a, a paper that he called Project Beta. And basically what this paper was, was it was an outline of attack. It detailed how 
he thought Dulce Base could be successfully attacked. And he also detailed his beliefs, his assertions, if you will, to the uh, APRO, the Aerial Phenomenon. There's a million things we have to do today, and worrying doesn't need to be one of them. That's why one in nine families use Life360 for safety, to connect to the people that matter most. Join today and get premium features that keep your family protected with real-time location updates, crash detection, and 24-7 roadside assistance. Because let's face it, you're more than just your to-do list, you're a family. So let's live life 360. Download for free today. Non-research organization. And these guys who investigate unidentified flying objects, uh, they said this guy is deluded and paranoid and they didn't want to have anything to do with him and they kind of just ignored this guy. And um, a another ufologist by the name of William Moore, and this is where it begins to get a little interesting, this guy befriended Paul Benowitz, and he has come out recently and claimed that he tried to push Benowitz over the edge, you know, mentally. Uh, Benowitz did have mental problems, a lot of mental health problems. He had been in uh, uh, psychiatric facilities on three separate occasions, and this was after he suffered uh, severe delusional paranoia. This guy, William Moore, claims that he tried to push Benowitz over the edge into a, a mental breakdown by feeding him false information about aliens. Uh, former special agent for the United States Air Force Office of Special Investigations, uh, a dude by the name of Richard Doty, claimed that in the uh, 80s he was tasked with hoaxing documents and feeding false information to UFO researchers, including Mr. Paul Benowitz. So, what all does this have to do, this Benowitz guy and all this shit that I just told you about, what does this have to do with Project Aquarius and what is Project Aquarius? Well, now we can begin to talk a little bit about this and what it is. Now, irrevocably connected to the Paul Benowitz case is a document that's been called a lot of things, mainly um, bogus and, uh, and false. Uh, it's usually known uh, as either the Aquarius document or the NASA Telex, or even the NSA Telex. Um, the name of a supposedly highly secret UFO-related project called Aquarius appears in this unverifiable Telex. And the reason that uh, I'm saying that it's unverifiable is because, um, well, just let me put it to you this way. The aforementioned Bill Moore... Uh, who was a UFO researcher, I just told you about him, William L. Moore. He was the first one who supposedly had this telex. Now, he's claimed 
that he received the telex from U.S. government agents all the way back in February of 1981 and that the telex says we know it is a retyped version of an original message that he had been shown. So that's why it's unverifiable because it's he got shown the message and supposedly remembered it uh, and retyped it. And it's kind of that's kind of, you know, your first major red flag there. Right. Um, and for those of you who don't know what a telex is, a telex is uh, the let's just say it's the forerunner of a fax. Uh, fax weren't fax machines weren't around in 1981 but they did have uh, telex. You heard of teletype, same thing. Um, so that's what we're talking about when we say telex. Now, um, interested researchers all the way back then, uh, they tried to verify or even refute the telex and the information in it. Now, Freedom of Information Act request produced information indicating that the telex was not a legitimate government cable, at least in the form that it was distributed. Whether or not the telex was a total fabrication remains unknown, but many, if not most researchers, they now believe it to be um, actually false. Although much of the information in the telex has been shown to be incorrect or false, there are certain items in there that have some validity. Now, it was this aspect of the telex that most interested me. Uh, how much of the information in the telex was correct and how did it come to be so? This was what interested me and ultimately led to my investigation of Project Aquarius. Now I've seen this telex. I've seen I've seen it several times. I've seen the quote unquote um, original, you know, the copies of the original telex, the the retyped one, should I say, um, that was produced by Bill Moore. And I've seen translations of it. And everything's pretty much consistent in there. Um, and this was how I first became aware of Project Aquarius and uh, I decided to do some research and you know the rest as I say is history. So late in 1985 there was a researcher named Chris Lambright and he received a Freedom of Information Act response letter from the National Security Agency or NSA in reply to his query about uh, three project names. Now, two of the projects were um, dismissed in the reply. Uh, they, they didn't address them at all, wouldn't give them the project names. But the third one, Project Aquarius, this was treated separately and differently. The NSA Freedom of Information Act letter asked for $15,000 up front to perform a Project Aquarius record search all of this with no promise of any results. Now, if you ask me, this is kind of a dangling carrot, so to speak, of the possible information that you can contain in that that's contained in in Project Aquarius. You know, it it was uh, you know, uh, uh, hey, 
this may be, you know, there may be something to it, but we need $15,000. So, of course, you know, he's not going to give $15,000. But what he did was he requested the goals of Project Aquarius. And the NSA wrote back that that uh, even the release of the project name could reasonably be expected to cause grave damage to the national security and therefore was properly classified. Now, this language that they used was straight out of the section on the top secret classification of the executive order, which established the classification system. And this is Executive Order 12356. That's Executive Order 12356. Do a Google search and you can you can see what this executive order is. So in my opinion, and a lot of other uh, investigators' opinion, that this was some sort of confirmation that Project Aquarius existed and was classified as top secret. So despite repeated attempts to the Freedom of Information Act, over a course of several years, nothing more about Project Aquarius was attained from the NSA. Freedom of Information Act requests were finally, however, able to produce significant documentation on a, not the, but a Project Aquarius, Aquarius, excuse me, that was conducted by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, aka DARPA. Now, this broke a long silence on the matter. The, the nagging question that we have is when and how did William Moore, or the people who fabricated the telex, how did, how did William Moore, these people, know of this project and its name? Or did he? Did he, did he just get lucky? Did he just choose something that sounded cool and, and got lucky? So, um... That's one of the things that you that I have been looking into. So we have this DARPA connection. So the the DARPA Project Aquarius documents were eventually released. Several Project Aquarius reports, as a matter of fact, have been obtained over the years under uh, the Freedom of Information Act. Um, Speaking of the Freedom of Information Act, there is a uh, it's a FOIA case number, Freedom of Information Act case number. It's 96-F-1327. DARPA, through the Assistant Secretary of Defense, it released the following. Okay, now there are one, two, three, four, five different Project Aquarius names here. The first one, and, and I'm going to give out the... the uh, project numbers and everything and, and tell you what these reports are or, or, or what they are. So the first one is <clears throat> AD, as in Delta, Alpha Delta 507423. That's Alpha Delta 507423 Project Aquarius quarterly report dated March the 2nd of 1970. The second one is Alpha Delta, AD, Alpha Delta, 513725, Project Aquarius Special Report. The third one is AD, Alpha Delta, 509068, Project Aquarius Annual Report. That has a date of the 1st of June, 1970. 
And you have the fourth one, which is AD, Alpha Delta, 515-288-L Lima. That's Alpha Delta 515288 Lima. Project Aquarius final report. And then the fifth and final one that DARPA released was AD Alpha Delta 514939L Lima. That's Alpha Delta 514939 Lima. Proceedings of the Maybell Technical Workshop of May 18 through 22, 1970. So you have five different reports. And in the introduction to report AD 507423, the first one that I mentioned, Project Aquarius is described as, and I'm going to read to you exactly how it is described. A part of the ARPA-sponsored ocean surveillance program under Project Maybell, the primary goals of Project Aquarius are to experimentally demonstrate the feasibility of detecting both submarine-launched ballistic missiles in low-flying aircraft and to compare the experimentally observed detection ranges to theoretically predicted detection ranges. So Project Maybell, the umbrella pot project under which Aquarius existed, is described in the executive summary to report AD 514939L, or the last one that I mentioned, as this, directed towards ocean surveillance and tactical early warning and is investigating the feasibility of detecting and tracking aircraft, missiles, ships, and submarines at over-the-horizon distances using high-frequency monostatic and bistatic radar, whatever those things are. So we do have a admission that there was a project Aquarius and that it was under the umbrella project Maybell. Now, once you do a little bit further digging, you find out that project Aquarius maybe was um, the brainchild or authorized by anyway, um, I think it was uh, Eisenhower who was convinced that UFOs were real and did indeed exist and posed a threat. Um, and so Project Maybell was a, oh, best way to, the, to describe it, that's the public face of Project Aquarius. That's what everyone is calling it. But the real name is not Project Maybell. It's Project Aquarius, if you get what I'm saying. So I don't know. So you you look a little bit further into it and you come to the NSA side of this whole thing. So upon a little bit further digging here, I learned that the material um, that uh, NSA is withholding from releasing about Project Aquarius describes a, an NSA database coincidentally called Aquarius. 
and it doesn't relate to DARPA records uh, pertaining to pro- to their project Aquarius as as released by the DOD, the Department of Defense. Nor does it relate to any other DOD project. It's it's not a project Aquarius document. Now this is further to previous assertions by the NSA that their Aquarius is not UFO related. So is it or isn't it? Is is Project Aquarius UFO related or not? So the the, the DOD Project Aquarius revealed in the the released reports was a, a research and development effort to see over the horizon with, with radar for information gathering and threat detection. It's not UFO related as the telex suggested the one that uh, first surfaced all the way back in the 80s from um, Mr. Moore. Um, so did he, once again, did, did he just get lucky and choose a name that there was already an existing project for? Or did he know of somehow, did he, did he know that there was a, a project Aquarius and kind of twist the information around, twist the facts, so to speak, to make things look like his project Aquarius was a UFO related project. Um, does this mean that the top secret NSA Aquarius material isn't UFO related either? Well, I, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that the NSA claims that it's not. So it, it is plausible that the high NSA classification for this project is intended to protect things like installations, intelligence sources, and methods of intelligence gathering. Now, these are the exemptions claimed by NSA to justify non-disclosure. I want to caveat this by saying when I worked for the military. Now, I was not in the military. If you've listened to this show, you've heard me say this several times. I've worked for the military, specifically the Army. I was not in the military in any shape, form, or fashion. I did work for the military, and I did have a top-secret clearance in the capacity of my job. So, their top-secret is not the highest on the rung. There's Secret, and then there's top secret. So it's like, you know, tier number two on the rung here. So, you know, I, I wasn't um, that high up in on the ladder, but I did have a top secret um, clearance. And uh, I want to say that it's, it's very, you know, that's one of the reasons why you have top secret clearances is to protect things like installations and and, and sources and, and how you obtain your information and stuff. So... Um, that's very well, you know, plausible. Now, however, there are some that will say that these arguments are weakened by the passage of time here and, and, and by the openness initiatives that have been uh, taken on by our U.S. government here in recent times. But I will say that I think it's legitimate 
a legitimate reason to, uh, you know, not provide information about something when, when you've got a, a, a top secret um, designation, you need to protect. There's a reason why it's top secret and you need to protect some things. So getting back to this telex here, this telex was supposedly part of a government disinformation campaign run on Mr. Paul Benowitz. And it couldn't be verified through normal normal channels, yet it contained some kind of correct information of a secret nature, right? So how could this happen? How, how did this happen? Now, I admit Aquarius could be a random choice for a project name by those who people who fabricated the telex, whether it was Bill Moore or somebody else. Um, the, the situation fits perfectly with the definition of disinformation. And the definition of disinformation is deliberately misleading information announced publicly or leaked by a government or especially by an intelligence agency in order to influence public opinion or the government. Now, to be effective here, disinformation must contain enough truth to convince those who give just a superficial look and enough to make those better informed, you know, ask questions, wonder about this. If the inclusion of the project named Aquarius was a, a disinformation tactic and application of containing enough truth, then it was effective, right? Because for over a decade, pursuit of Project Aquarius records has occupied some of so many investigators' time and effort and resources. <coughs> and had this time and effort been spent on other things, perhaps we'd know more about those other things today. So, you know, disinformation is a possibility. If the use of Aquarius was part of this disinformation effort, then those who created this telex would have they would have had to have had some knowledge of classified government information somehow. Now, the telex also mentions everyone's favorite secret uh, council, the MJ-12, uh, in the same sentence as it mentions Project Aquarius. And since the telex predated the release of the original MJ-12 papers, it's my opinion that the creators of the telex designed it as groundwork for the later release of the MJ-12 briefing document. There's no indication in the DOD released reports of any association with MJ-12 or any other UFO-related matters, and the NSA asserts that their Aquarius is not UFO-related. Now, I don't want these MJ-12 papers that I'm talking about, these documents, I do not want them to be confused with the latest thing uh, that's been going across the Internet uh, with with the uh, Project Blue Book 
papers. Okay, um, the if if you're a, a ufologist or a UFO enthusiast or interested in UFOs in any way, shape, form, or fashion, you will know that in the past couple of months, that uh, the I guess it's the entire Project Blue Book uh, has been released on the interwebs here, and uh, you can read all about it. Um, I will have to say uh, I bit the bullet and um, looked at, well, I didn't look at all of the pages. I mean, I forgot how many pages there are to that thing, but it's it's a, it's a huge undertaking for someone to um, put all of this on the internet. Huge file, huge documents. Um, but I looked at some of them and, you know, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, to me, it doesn't seem to be you know, that big of a woohoo, wonderful revelation type deal. I mean, we've known about Project Blue Book for how many decades now? Um, I guess this is just such a big thing because now there's definitely 100% no denying that Project Blue Book was real, I guess, because we have all these documents. I don't know. I I, I have no idea. Um, Project Blue Book was never... Um, in my mind, anyway, it was never one of those things that was, oh, was this did, was this real or was it not? I mean, I think, you know, any reasonable person would say, yeah, that was real. But, once again, I'm going to digress here, right? And speaking of digressing, I mean, when I was preparing the show and I was, was going to, I was coming to this segment here, and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have to address the Project Blue Book report that's been released. i got to at least, you know, mention it somehow. It got me thinking, there was a television show when I was a kid that was about Project Blue Book. I know there was. I, I can't be making this up. It was two dudes from the Air Force that were going around investigating these UFO claims and it would show how they how they investigated it and how they come to their conclusions and everything. And I can't remember the name of this show and it's driving me nuts. It, I want to say it might have been Project Blue Book, but I'm I'm not I'm not sure. So if, if anyone is out there that remembers this show, and I don't know if this was from the 70s or the 80s, dude, I can't remember, I have no idea how old I was, but I remember I used to watch it when I was a kid, it would probably only lasted one season, um, if you know what I'm talking about, email me, sandman at parareality.com, or get on my Facebook page, sandman.parareality, and let me know if you can find out what the name of that show was, I just haven't tried looking it up on, on the interwebs here, I'm sure that it's exists out there somewhere, the name of that does. But anyway, once again, as I'm so prone to do here lately, I digress. So let me get back. Uh, so we're getting back to Project Aquarius. Just how many Project Aquarius were there? Well, there, there. Uh, in uh, 1990, the aforementioned Bill Moore, he, his name keeps coming up a lot in this, right? He wrote a book back in 1990, and he mentions three apparently different projects Aquarius. 
there's Aquarius A, B, and C. And a small amount of information was given about Aquarius A and C. Some of this information turns out to be correct and some of it doesn't, as you know, is turns out to be so, you know, par for the course when, when you're can, talking about Bill Moore. Uh, uh, enough was correct, however, to identify and obtain the DARPA reports released. And my anonymous source that I have had contact with via email says this, Our research shows that Bill Moore's Aquarius A and Aquarius C are the same Department of Defense projects, or DARPA projects. So, okay, so... A and C are the same. So you just do away with it with C because it's the same thing as A. So now you have a, a Project Aquarius A and Project Aquarius B. So that brings it down to or narrows it down to two. So, you know, just how many Project Aquarius are there? Well, apparently there's two. While it is true that the DOD project names are assigned from a register and are not duplicated, and also that the U.S. Air Force insists that project names are not duplicated, the NSA, what they say is that the NSA database and project names are not obtained from a coordinated DOD registry. So... What that's saying is it, it leaves the possibility open for more agencies which also don't use the DOD coordinated name registry who could be using the name Project Aquarius or just Aquarius. So really, we've got two confirmed, but that doesn't mean that there aren't more out there. Now, once again, that anonymous source of mine that I've contacted through the email he says that he's located two agencies holding documents related to Aquarius. And he says that uh, we suppose it's possible that there are or were more. Now, who we are in his email, I'm assuming it's his research partner or partners. I don't know. Did not ask him. And then there's the matter of classification levels. None of the released DOD material was classified above the level of secret. Remember, I just told you a while ago there are secret, top secret, and then there's three or four more that go up above that, right? So some passages, a few of which included the name Project Aquarius, were even unclassified at the time. If not available outside those with clearance for the DARPA Aquarius material, classified secret. So, as I just said, the wording of one of the early NSA Freedom of Information responses, there's my creepy clock again, it can reasonably expected to cause grave damage to national security. Now, this is verbatim from, it's now superseded Executive Order 12356 for the classification of level of top secret. A direct statement in an NSA response letter reveals that the classification level of the NSA Aquarius database has been reduced to secret, but it still remains classified. So we now have direct evidence that the Project Aquarius conducted by DARPA was not UFO-related. But 
we're left with the question of whether or not the NSA Aquarius database is UFO related. And once again, I want to be clear, the NSA, the National Security Agency, says that it is not. So if the still withheld NSA Aquarius information is not UFO related, then the inclusion of the name Aquarius in the telex that Bill Moore had or saw was either an effective diversionary disinformation tactic or a random selection by the creators of the, of the bogus telex. So if you do, uh, if you look at Occam's razor, you would think, well, it's the latter. It's a random selection created, you know, by the people who made up the telex. But the question of by what mechanism did the creators of the telex obtain the name of an at the time classified project remains open. So. With all of that being said, you're left with the question, well, what in the hell is Project Aquarius? Because you haven't really answered it. So, I can't find any really solid definition of what exactly Project Aquarius is or was. And what exactly was it designed to do? Or what did it do? What does it do? Um, he said, I've, I've got the official documents that are the, the telex. I have a copy of the telex that Bill Moore uh, retyped. Um, and I thought about, oh, I'm going to read this on the air, you know, verbatim, word for word. And then I got to looking at it and I think, man, that would be boring. What the hell kind of show is that going to be if I just take... Okay, now I'm going to take this document and I'm going to read it exactly word for word, verbatim, exactly how it says. So what I think that I'm, I'm going to do instead of reading it verbatim is I'm going to hit the highlights for you and just kind of give you a, what I think would be enough information to make up your own mind. Now, this is available on one of several, an infinite, seems like, number of websites online. So if you really want to find, if you really want to read it for what it says in, in all, its, all its glory, um, all you got to do is type in Project Aquarius or Project Aquarius Telex or Project Aquarius Document or something of that nature and it'll pop up, I don't know how many, like I said, an infinite number of websites that it will pop up pretty damn instantly where you too can download it, save it to your computer, print it off, copy it, do whatever you want to do, and you can read the whole entire thing um, word for word. So uh, 
I'm going to take a break here for a second. And I'm going to dig out my Project Aquarius papers. And when I come back, I'm going to hit some of the highlights on Project Aquarius. And hopefully it will give you enough information where you can maybe either be just as confused about it as I am. Or who knows, maybe you're smarter than I am and you can say, hey, I've got it figured out. So I'm going to take a break, let you listen to some music, and I'll be back and we'll read some of the Project Aquarius documents.
Hello, everybody. This is Sandman. I want to thank you for listening to Parareality Radio, and I'd like to invite you to check out my side project. It's called Set It Off. It's a half-hour-long show where I vent my frustrations about anything from politics, religion, pop culture, and celebrities, to rude people, stupid people, or that guy who drives too slow in the fast lane. It can be just about anything that, well, sets me off. It can only be heard on Spreaker and on Facebook. Just go to Spreaker.com and search for Set It Off. Or listen to it on my Facebook page, which is Sandman.Parareality. There's no set schedule for the show because it's completely random. So check for new episodes often. Remember, it's called Set It Off, and you never know what I'm going to say next. So during the break, I got to thinking about it, and I had originally said, you know, I'm not going to sit here and read this report in its entirety to you uh, over the radio and blah, blah, blah. However, I I thought about it, I I re-looked at it, and it's, you know, it's really not that long. And I thought, what the hell? Why don't I just go ahead and read the report to you here on the air? Uh, take up a, a few extra minutes. What the hell? Why not? It's my show. I can do what I want to, and I reserve the right to change my mind at any time. So there you are. I'm, I've changed my mind. So I'm going to read to you this uh, Project Aquarius Telex in its entirety as I have it. And let's see. How many pages are there? There are eight and a half pages to this thing so it's really not all that long um <clears throat> so here we go without any further delay it starts off first page is of course has top secret stamped all over it and it says executive correspondence executive briefing subject project aquarius attention this document was prepared by mj12 mj12 is solely responsible for its subject matter And, of course, it says classified by MJ-12, declassified by exempt. So the first thing that it talks about is classification and release instructions. It says, the information contained in this document is classified top secret with ORCON. And ORCON is an acronym, O-R-C-O-N. It means originator controlled. In other words, only the originator may release the information. Only MJ-12 has access to Project Aquarius. No other government agency, to include the military, has access to the information contained in this briefing. There are only two copies of Project Aquarius, and the location is known only to MJ-12. This document will be destroyed after the briefing. No notes, photographs, or audio recordings may be made of this briefing. And, obviously... Since I'm reading this to you and I have this document in my possession, we know that uh, I guess it obviously wasn't destroyed after the briefing. Otherwise, we would not have copies of this thing floating around. So the next thing you see is in big, bold letters, and it says Project Aquarius. Project Aquarius contains 16 volumes of documented information collected from the beginning of the United States investigation of unidentified 
flying objects, and identified alien crafts. The project was originally established in 1953 by order of President Eisenhower under control of NSC and MJ-12. In 1966, the project's name was changed from Project Gleam to Project Aquarius. The project was funded by CIA Confidential Funds. The project was originally classified secret, but was upgraded to its present classification in December 1969 after Project Blue Book closed. The purpose of Project Aquarius was to collect all scientific, technological, medical, and intelligence information from UFO IAC, that's Identified Alien Craft Sightings, and contacts with alien life forms. This orderly file of collected information has been used to advance the United States space program. The preceding briefing is an historical account of the United States government's investigation of aerial phenomenons, recovered alien aircrafts, and contacts with extraterrestrial life forms. The next heading in the document is entitled Executive Briefing, and it goes like this. In June 1947, a civilian pilot flying over the Cascade Mountains of Washington State observed nine flying disks, later referred to as UFOs. The commander, Air Force Technical Intelligence Center of the then Army Air Forces, became concerned and ordered an inquiry. This was the beginning of the United States' involvement with the UFO investigations. In 1947, an aircraft of extraterrestrial origin crashed in the desert of New Mexico. The craft was recovered by the military. Four alien, non-homo sapiens bodies were recovered in the wreckage. The aliens were found to be creatures not related to human beings. In late 1949, another alien aircraft crashed in the United States and was recovered partially intact by the military. One alien of extraterrestrial origin involved, or excuse me, survived the crash. The surviving alien was male and called itself Ebi, or Ebi, spelled E-B-E. I don't know how you pronounce that. The alien was thoroughly interrogated by military intelligence personnel at a base in New Mexico. The alien's language was translated by means of picture graphs. It was learned the alien came from a planet in the Zeta Reticuli star system approximately 40 light years from Earth. Ebi survived until June 18, 1952, when he died to an unexplained illness. During the time period Ebi was alive, he provided valuable information regarding space technology, origins of the universe, and exobiological matters. The recovery of alien aircrafts led the United States on an extensive investigation program to determine whether these aliens posed a direct threat to our national security. In 1947, the newly created Air Force initiated a program to investigate incidents involving UFOs. The program was operated under three different code names, Grudge, Sign, and finally Blue Book. The original mission of the Air Force program was to collect and analyze all reported sightings or incidents involving UFOs 
and determine where the information could be interpreted as having any bearing on the security of the United States. Some information was evaluated with the idea of using the gained data to advance our own space technology and further space programs. 90% of the estimated 12,000 reports analyzed by the Air Force were considered hoaxes, explained aerial phenomena, or natural astronomical objects. The other 10% were considered legitimate alien sightings and or incidents. However, not all UFO sightings or incidents were reported under the Air Force program. In 1953, Project GLEAM was initiated by order of President Eisenhower, who believed the UFOs presented a threat to the national security of the United States. Project GLEAM, which became Project Aquarius in 1966, was a parallel reporting system for UFO sightings and incidents. Reports collected under Project Aquarius were considered actual sightings of alien aircraft or contacts with alien life forms. Most reports were made by reliable military and Defense Department civilian personnel. In 1958, the United States recovered a third alien aircraft from the desert of Utah. The aircraft was in excellent flying condition. The aircraft was apparently abandoned by the aliens for some unexplained reason since no alien life forms were found in or around the aircraft. The aircraft was considered a technological marvel by United States scientists. However, the operating instrumentations of the aircraft were so complex that our scientists could not in interpret their operation. The aircraft was stored in a top security area and analyzed throughout the years by our best aerospace scientists. The United States gained a large volume of technological data from the recovered alien aircraft. And it goes on. Several independent scientific investigations at the request of the Air Force and CIA were initiated during the era of Project Blue Book. MJ-12 decided that officially the Air Force should end their investigation of UFOs. This decision was arrived at during the, something is unreadable there, meeting in 1966. The reason was twofold. First, the United States had established communications with the aliens. The United States felt relatively sure the aliens' exploration of Earth was non-aggressive and non-hostile. It was also established that the aliens' presence did not directly threaten the security of the United States. Secondly, the public was beginning to believe that UFOs were real. The NSC felt this public feeling could lead to nationwide panic. The United States was involved in several sensitive projects during this time period. It was felt that public awareness of these projects would have jeopardized the future space program of the United States. Therefore, MJ-12 decided that an independent scientific study of the UFO phenomenon would be needed to satisfy public curiosity. The study concluded that sufficient data did not exist that would indicate UFOs threatened the security of the United States. The final conclusion satisfied the government and allowed the Air Force to officially step out of the UFO investigating business. When the Air Force officially closed Project Blue Book in December 1969, 
Project Aquarius continued operation under control of NSC-MJ-12. The NSC felt investigations of UFO sightings and incidents had to continue in secrecy without any public knowledge. The reasoning behind this decision was this. If the Air Force continued its investigation of UFOs, eventually some uncleared and unbriefed Air Force or Defense Department civilian officials would obtain the facts behind Project Aquarius. Obviously, for operational security reasons, this could not be allowed. In order to continue the investigation of UFO sightings and incidents in secrecy, investigators from CIA, DCD, and MJ-12 were assigned to military and other governmental agencies with orders to investigate all legitimate UFO IAC sightings and incidents. These agents are presently operating at various locations throughout the United States and Canada. All reports are filtered either directly or indirectly to MJ-12. These agents are collecting reports of UFO IAC sightings and incidents occurring on or near sensitive governmental installations. And then it has a little note here. And it says, note, (coughs) excuse me, aliens have been extremely interested in our nuclear weapons and nuclear research. Many reported military sightings and incidents occur over nuclear weapons bases. The aliens' interest in our nuclear weapons can only be attributed to the further threat of a nuclear war on Earth. The Air Force have initiated measures to ensure the security of the nuclear weapons from the alien theft or destruction. MJ-12 feels confident the aliens are on an exploration of our solar system for peaceful purposes, However, we must continue to observe and track the aliens' movements until it's determined that the aliens' future plans contain no threat to our national security or the civilization of Earth. And uh, the rest of the report reads, um, Most governmental documents pertaining to UFO sightings, incidents, and governmental policies, including Project Blue Book, have been released to the public under Freedom of Information Act or under various other release programs. MJ-12 felt the remaining documents and information not related to Project Aquarius, relating to technological facts regarding aliens' medical matters, the fact that an alien was captured alive and survived for three years cannot be released to the public for fear the information would be attained by SHIS, whatever that is. There was other information obtained from IBI that was deemed sensitive and not releasable to the public. Notably, Project Aquarius Volume 9, which pertains to tracing the aliens' first visitation of Earth back some 5,000 years. IBI reported that 2,000 years ago his ancestors planted a human creature on Earth to assist the inhabitants of Earth in developing a civilization. This information was only vague, and the exact identity or background information on this Homo sapien was not obtained. Undoubtedly, that's what it says, undoubtedly, if this information was released to the public, it would cause a worldwide religious panic. MJ3 has developed a plan that will allow release of Project Aquarius Volumes 1 through 3. The release program calls for a gradual release of information over a period of time in order to condition the public for further disclosures. <clears throat> so, 
This is trying to say that Jesus was an alien, or at least it's alluding to the fact that Jesus was an alien. That's not the first time that that's been postulated. Uh, the document continues. In the 1976 MJ3 report, it was estimated that aliens' technology was many thousands of years ahead of United States technology. Our scientists speculate that until our technology develops to a level equal to the aliens, we cannot understand the large volume of scientific information the United States has already gained from the aliens. This advancement of United States technology may take many hundreds of years. And then the, the telex concludes with uh, sub-projects under Project Aquarius. So there are uh, four sub-projects that it talks about here. The first one is Project Bando. Originally established in 1949, its mission was to collect and evaluate medical information from the surviving alien creature and the recovered alien bodies. This project medically examined Ibi and provided United States medical researchers with certain answers to the evolution theory. Uh, <clears throat> second project is Project Sigma, originally established as part of Project Gleam in 1954 became a separate project in 1976. Its mission was to establish communications with aliens. This project met with positive success when in 1959 the United States established primitive communications with the aliens. On April 25, 1964, a USAF intelligence officer met two aliens at a prearranged location in the desert of New Mexico. The contact lasted for approximately three hours. Based on the alien's language given to us by Ebby, the Air Force officer managed to exchange basic information with the two aliens. This project is continuing at an Air Force base in New Mexico. Then uh, number three is Project Snowbird, originally established in 1972. Its mission was to test fly a recovered alien aircraft. This project is continuing in Nevada. And finally, the document ends with uh, the fourth project, sub-project, under Project Aquarius. This is called Project Pounce, originally established in 1968. Its mission was to evaluate all UFO IAC information pertaining to space technology. And it says Project Pounce continues. So that is the in whole document read in its entirety. Um, I have problems with this, and you know, I, this is probably the third time that I've read this, um, but it's the first time that I've actually read it out loud. And sometimes, you know, when you read things out loud, you get a different perspective. And I started noticing that as 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 I was reading out out loud, the way that this thing flows is not very military or government-like. It's more like someone is uh, just kind of talking to someone, giving like a little mini lecture about something. So it's not very... Uh, I mean, I've I've been to briefings and stuff like that. As I've said, I've had a, a top-secret clearance when I worked for the military. So I've been to briefings, and um, I don't... Um, this doesn't seem very briefing-like to me. And there are several, um, there are lots of grammatical errors, spelling errors. 
Um, for instance, I, you saw me kind of chuckling at one point when I was talking about the word uh, interpreted. They spell it interrupted. Uh, it's really weird, like almost uh, like interrupted, but it's in in interrupted something like that. It's really really weird. Uh, the 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 grammar is bad. There's you know sentence, run on sentences and sentence fragments and all that other sorts of stuff. So it's very not it's not very briefing like. It's very um, and the best way to say this is um, amateurish. And, of course, you know, we, we have established that the telex itself that I was just reading to you is actually, in fact, it, it is a hoax. Um, we don't know exactly at this point in time who the person was that, uh, that wrote it or the people. Excuse me. Person or persons who wrote it was. But, uh, yeah, it's very, very amateurish. And, of course, it... it you know, there's stuff in there about uh, aliens trying to help civilization advance by, you know, it, it alludes to the fact that Christ was an alien. Like I said, that's not, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not the first time that that theory has ever been postulated. Uh, I, I do think that's a little bit ridiculous. I, you know, I am a, a a firm believer in the ancient astronaut theory um, <clears throat> and I don't think that the Bible is true. Um, I, I don't think that what they, what the Bible says Jesus Christ did, um, <clears throat> is an accurate representation of the man. I, I believe Jesus Christ was a real person. I believe he was a man, uh, uh an extraordinary man, uh, but not, um, not God, not of God. He was not God in the flesh here on earth. Um, I, I, I just think he was an extraordinary individual. Real, yes. Divine, no. So the the Project Aquarius document, as you can see, it's, it's very interesting uh, with what is said in the document, um, there's, um, if you're a ufologist, you know, there's stuff in there that really makes your ears stand up and, and make, it makes you wish that it could be true. Um, but I just don't, like I say, it's, it's been proven at least in my mind that, uh, it's not a, um, correct a true document. Was there a Project Aquarius? Yeah, I think there was a Project Aquarius. There probably still is a Project Aquarius. I just don't think that it was what uh, this document proposed it to be. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a hoax. I mean, we've already established that fact, right? So, I don't know what what do you think about Project Aquarius? Now that I've now that I've read the whole entire telex to you, um, you know you may want to replay the last twenty minutes of the show and listen to it again. But you can just do a Google search for uh, 
Project Aquarius or Project Aquarius Telex or Project Aquarius Document or whatever, and, and you can find it it's just on hundreds, if not thousands, of websites that's available. Uh, anybody can can get it. I mean, it wasn't that hard for me to obtain it. So that's what I think about Project Aquarius. Let me know what you thought about it. Send me an email, sandman at parareality.com. I'm going to take another quick break here, and uh, when I come back, I will do Sandman Speaks. I've been stuffed in your pocket for the last hundred days. When I don't get my bath, I take it out on the slaves. So grease up your baby for the ball on the hill. I'll polish them rockets now and swallow those pills and say, oh.
You are listening to Parareality Radio, your home for all things paranormal, strange, and unexplained. New episodes broadcast the first Friday of every month. Turn on, tune in, and find out. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. So, I feel that I have already given you guys enough of my own personal information about this a project, this project Aquarius, and based upon that and other, you know, widely generally accepted public information that the thing was the whole thing was a fake. So, it was a plant, and it was specifically uh, targeting. Uh, the one gentleman, Mr. Paul Benowitz, and it kind of uh, ballooned out from there, if you will. So I feel that I cannot, um, in good conscience anyway, just address only the, the my opinion on Project Aquarius and totally not talk about Paul Benowitz any more than what I already have. So instead of this Sandman Speaks being my opinion on Project Aquarius, which it's fake, there's, you know, that in a nutshell, I'm I'm I want to focus more on Paul Benowitz and what happened to him. So it all ties into Project Aquarius, which was a government disinformation scheme. So this is that's me adjusting my mic, sorry. This is what I have to say for this edition of Sandman Speaks. Paul Benowitz had his own company, Thunder Scientific Corporation, and that was just outside the uh, perimeter of the Kirtland Air Force Base. His company specialized in the manufacture of temperature and humidity instruments for NASA in the United States Air Force, which meant that his office location was perfect. And it also meant that he was very close to one of the most important military installations in the world. And what he had not counted on was that such facilities seemed to go hand in hand with weirdness and strange things. In 1979, Benowitz observed lights dancing around the Manzano Weapons Storage Complex, which at the time was the largest underground repository of nuclear weapons in the United States. For someone with an interest in UFOs, such as Benowitz, this turned out to be, well, pretty fatal for him. Benowitz was hooked, and he began to watch 
record and research the goings on there. And on May 7th, 1980, a woman by the name of Myrna Hansen, who was a single mother, uh, she contacted Benowitz with a story that she had been abducted by aliens. Uh, at the time, there were just a few alien abduction cases that were already known, specifically uh, referencing the Betty and Barney Hill story. Uh, Travis Walton, uh, that was another one. Uh, uh, there's a book that was written by Bud Hopkins called uh, Missing Time, and um, he hadn't yet published that book in in May of 1980. And uh, um, there's a book that was written by uh, Burlitson Moore on uh, Roswell. Um, th- they were they were in the middle of writing that book and hadn't released it yet. So. The public interest in UFOs, as far as those two standpoints go, excuse me, Roswell and uh, uh, the the missing time book by Bud Hopkins. I mean, the, there was interest, but it wasn't there, you know, worldwide heavily known, such as after the the publication of those two books. So, a man named Leo Sprinkle, who was a uh, a hypnotherapist in Benowitz decided to do a hypnosis session with Myrna Hansen. Uh, specifically, Benowitz came away from the session and subsequent meetings um, believing that alien beings were beaming some sort of rays at Hansen and controlling her unconscious mind. And and on top of that, Hanson was talking about an underground base where she had seen body parts. And, you know, this is fueling the fire. It seems that while she was at the base, a device had been implanted in her somewhere, I guess in her brain, to control her thinking. Now, later on in that same year, 1980, Benowitz, he became really edgy. He started carrying guns and saying that uh, the aliens were coming through the walls and they could do this at any time. And this evolved into a belief that the aliens were slowly taking over the United States government, specifically the military. The lights that he was seeing and recording were obvious proof of this to him. So he wrote down his theory in, in a paper or manuscript and it was titled Project Beta. Um, sections of it read uh, really weird. Uh, it, one section said, established uh, constant direct communication with the alien. Uh, subsequent aerial and ground photographs revealed landing pylons, ships on the ground, aliens on the ground in electrostatically supported vehicles, charging beam weapons, The aliens are picking up and cutting people every night. Whether all implants are totally effective, I cannot predict. Conservatively, I would estimate at least 300,000 people have been implanted in the U.S., at least 2 million worldwide. So kind of a paranoid um, rant of of, uh, about aliens and alien implants. Uh, Benowitz made 
contact later on after he wrote this paper with the authorities at the Kirtland base. And he was eventually passed on to uh, Air Force Office of Special Investigations, or as the, you know, the, the military and the government like to use acronyms, AFOSI or AFOSI. Uh, he was he was eventually passed on to Afosi uh, and put in contact with Special Agent Richard Doty. Now, this was the start of a campaign that would forever change the UFO phenomenon. When Benowitz reported he had witnessed strange lights and that his equipment had subsequently made strange recordings, which, by the way, he wanted the Air Force to be aware of, Benefits was just, he was welcomed with open arms. He was even allowed to make a presentation on the base. And furthermore, Doty encouraged him in his research. And it looks like that Benowitz even received some money to to fund his research so he could continue. And that's where everything should have should have stopped, was was right there. First first of all, the official stance of the government is that there's little to nothing to the UFO phenomenon. So why were they openly encouraging Benowitz? There was little plausible deniability. And secondly, when they they gave this guy, when they funded him, they gave him $75,000. Now, when they give a person $75,000 for an investigation to record alien communications. And, and, you know, these aliens, according to Benowitz, are intent on taking control of the United States government. If this is true, would the government not, you don't think they'd take a little bit more ownership of the situation? That, that you know, if you think about it logically, that seems kind of, you know, that's a pretty serious thing, wouldn't you think? But... Things didn't stop where they should have or where they were supposed to, in my opinion, anyway. What has since been officially accepted is that Doty began a campaign of disinformation directed at Benowitz. Benowitz had indeed picked up radio signals, but these were military communications. They weren't alien communications. The government wanted to know how he had managed to do this because if he could do it, then, you know, the enemies of the United States, which mainly back then we're talking about the Soviets, they could do it too, right? So in short, the government had identified a serious breach of security. Serious because it involved one of the most important military sites on Earth. And rather than than plug it like they should have done, they just decided to contain it and see the extent of the hole. In other words, see how big it was. But in order for this to, to succeed, a net of lies had to be woven. It may be not nice. It may be an an ugly thing to do to involve a private citizen, but we all know it's standard practice, right, by the government. Excuse me, got something to drink there. So Benowitz was given money, $75,000. So... Now he has sufficient funds, he can continue his tinkering with devices that were picking up the signals. It was money that inspired Benowitz to continue, which wasn't really necessary, seeming, I mean, he 
deemed himself one of the few, if not only UFO researchers who had the ears of the government. And he was, he was continuing to see how far with funding he could go. Right? So the purpose as the Soviets had money at their disposal was how big was the hole that the United States government had to plug. Benowitz was paid to find this out, even though he never suspected it, never realized it. So in late 1980, he decided that he was going to inform the UFO community about his findings, and he wrote long letters to uh, the uh, APRO, as I've already said, um, and, and detailed out his theories, and they thought he was a lunatic. And at the same time, he, he wrote to his senators uh, informing them about the alien menace. And he said it was taking over control of the base in their state. And supposedly these senators tried to follow up but didn't have any success. So now it seems that Doty decided to go to the next level of disinformation. And on November 17, 1980, he met William Moore. And he asked if Moore would be able or willing to cooperate with this disinformation. And if Moore was willing to spread this disinformation, he'd be given access to the inner UFO secrets of the government. So he's dangling a big carrot in front of this guy. And it's clear that the two never really mixed. Why would anyone who knows and has been successful in covering it up invite someone to spread more lies, but in return be told the truth. That doesn't make any sense, right? But just like Benowitz, Moore seems to have fallen for it, or, you know, he, he accepted the deal, in other words. So the disinformation was directed towards Benowitz, and in the late spring of 1981, Afosi began to, to draw Benowitz's attention away from the base and focus it instead on Dolce, which is a place of no importance and the perfect place to become the home of some sort of imaginary alien base. So Doty had begun a campaign to destroy Benowitz. Now, however unintentional Moore's role in this whole thing may have been, he still played a role. And in August 1988, Benowitz would finally crack under all of this stuff that was going on between Doty and Benowitz and Moore. And he wouldn't, this would, would keep Benowitz from functioning normally. So his family had him put in a mental hospital, a mental institution, but he only stayed there a month. And then he got better. And at this point, his family wisely decided to forever shield him from both UFO and UFO researchers. Now, one of the things that had driven him over the edge was the fact that he saw energy balls in his home and supposedly these were things sent by the aliens. Now, Doty thought that this was all in the head of Benowitz until he learned that uh, the NSA was actually intensely monitoring Benowitz as well. And Doty himself saw the lights when he, he actually broke into Benowitz's house to find out how he was progressing and he saw the lights himself. And he also noted that the house on the other side of the road to him seemed to be a surveillance house from where Benowitz was being observed. So did these energy balls have anything to do with something that was beamed from across the street? I don't know. 
So the sad extent of Doty's and Moore's cooperation only came to light in 1989 when Moore admitted his role in the Benowitz affair and a lot more than just that. So maybe it was Benowitz's mental breakdown that had finally made him realize the extent of the deception and the human cost involved. So Moore opted for a MUFON conference where he would would relate his dealings with a FOSI and put the record straight, and at the same time he hoped that this lecture would be a warning to his other UFO researchers not to fall in the same trap that he did. What he seemed unaware of was that several had already fallen in the same trap a long time ago, and some would follow Moore's example and come out with the truth in the following years. But Moore's admission of this deception, this disinformation campaign, though he claimed he himself had been deceived, it didn't go down well. So the master of ceremonies had to threaten, silence, and intervene the audience on more than one occasion. Uh, Some realized that the man on stage had driven a man insane, and they did not approve of this. And, of course, others, I'm sure, were flabbergasted, and some must have realized how the government had been toying with them all these years. And Moore claimed that he only began to cooperate in 1981. But did he really tell the whole truth or just half-truths, maybe leaving out a few things here and there? So it's it's pretty likely that Moore and Doty not only began to, to cooperate with each other in 1981, but Moore was the first person to argue for the fact that Roswell was an alien landing based upon basically flimsy evidence. However good he made it sound for for the book that he wrote. And though this is now widely accepted by the world at large, uh, any half-serious research into Roswell, you're going to see that Roswell's a classic example of government disinformation. Um, you know, um, what can you say about that? Uh, among the stories that Doty fed to Moore was one of a live extraterrestrial that had been captured after another crash in New Mexico and had lived into 1952. And since then, a series of other extraterrestrials had been sent as ambassadors. And Doty also spoke of a treaty between the U.S. government and the Allies and the aliens. Uh, and Moore accepted some of this information as gospel and Apparently other material, specifically the initial material that Doty had fed to him, he was, you know, pretty quick to, to say, okay, that's, that's what you're lying to me. That's false. Um, so it's clear that in the 1980s in the early eighties, Doty was, he wasn't really knowledgeable enough to concoct UFO stories by himself. And, I would say that the primary role of Moore was to help him further develop his stories. Uh, and because if Moore could fell for it, the entire community would, would run with it, right? So did this entire campaign to deceive the American public, making them believe that aliens were hiding in secret bases like Area 51, begin in 1982 when Dodie Moore hooked up? And what was the role of Moore? Was he a co-conspirator or maybe he was a victim? Maybe he was a victim himself. That there is more to Moore 
than meets the eye. That's very apparent. Um, and there was a uh, um, an aerospace worker at Aerojet Systems named um, Lee Graham, and he kind of uh, well, he said that was evident. Um, he was shown this guy was shown documents like the MJ12 and the Aquarius paper, the Aquarius Telex by Bill Moore prior to their public release. Um, this guy figured it out. I mean, he's an electrical worker, right? Um, he's, excuse me, he's an aerospace worker and he's not a dumb guy, right? So he could figure it out. And, you know, I read to you the, the Aquarius stuff. You could figure it out. Uh, it's, it's just not, it wasn't very well, well written as I've already stated. So getting back to Graham here, he, uh, well, people, there are people say that, that, you know, Doty's probably the main perpetrator of this hoax, although some claim more that, that claim that more f- faked that telex, uh, cause he said, you know, it was a, basically a copy, a, a rewrite. Um, but he officially denies this. So you get back to Graham here. He eventually took the documents to superiors and came under a real intense scrutiny by the defense, uh, investigative services and, uh, Moore, who provided the documents to him, was never investigated by the DIS, even though Graham insisted that an investigation should take place here. So you have this whole history of these two guys conspiring with each other to create disinformation about the UFO uh, um, phenomenon. They falsified some documents by MJ-12, most specifically speaking about the Aquarius telex. And in doing so, with all this disinformation, they drove an already mentally unstable man. They drove him pretty much insane. Pretty much they they drove him crazy. So Benowitz died on June 23rd, 2003 at the age of 75. It seems clear to me that a campaign specifically directed towards him and then mushroomed into a basically general public campaign to make specifically the American public believe that aliens were here and the government was working with aliens. Uh, Benowitz's price was a mental breakdown for all this, but as soon as he'd been able to remove UFOs from his life after he got better, uh, shielded by his family, he apparently seems to have led a pretty quiet and uh, happy life, especially when you compare it to the life he led between 1980 and 88, those eight years there. Benowitz can be seen as a martyr in some aspects, and in that role, he should perhaps be an inspiration to a lot of fellow UFO researchers to realize that many of the major themes in the UFO community, from aliens living in Area 51 to uh, crash extraterrestrial spacecraft, is, is worthy of study, but from the point a view of government disinformation, not a possible revelation that's going to change the world. Seeing the UFOs for what the likes of Doty have made them into may, well, that may set many people free and might indeed lead to a major revelation. We've been lied to, ladies and gentlemen, on purpose by the government. And that is what I think. And... uh, 
That, ladies and gentlemen, just about does it for me on this episode of Parareality Radio. Everybody, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by sending me an email. That's sandman at parareality.com. Once again, my email address is sandman at parareality.com. Speaking of parareality.com, please remember to uh, go there and uh, visit the uh, Parareality Radio Store. Shop around the official Parareality Radio Store. Remember that um, I don't make any money off of doing this podcast and any and all um, purchases that you make goes directly back into producing this show. So help me stay on the air by uh, showing your love for Parareality Radio and go to www.parareality.com. Click on the Extras tab there at the top of the page and that will take you to where you can shop in the Parareality Radio store. You can even join the official Parareality Radio forum. It is actually free to join and uh, you can Maybe check out some videos and other cool stuff that I post there on the website. Every so often I will update the video section with uh, an episode of my very short-lived internet television show, which was uh, not the best thing in the whole entire world. I tried to, (coughs) excuse me, tried to take what I I do here on the podcast and turn it into a little more like a, a, a video vlog I guess you could say and uh, I thought that uh, I could do it um, basically by myself well I did do it by myself Um, it just uh, just didn't translate as well onto the TV medium or the video medium as 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 well as what I was hoping that it would Um, it lacked a lot like um Good quality production <laughs> guests. It liked a lot of guests. Um, it's it's hard to to do something like that by yourself, and that's what I was trying to do, and and it didn't really turn out as well as what I was hoping that it would. But um, I managed to produce about a dozen or so shows. Um, I think I still owe um, like three shows on my contract, or something like that. I don't think anything's going to happen to him. I'm not going to get sued or anything, but um, I did uh, do a deal to do. Uh, I think it was 15 shows, and I still owe a few. So I keep saying one day, you know, I'll go back and I'll do the final three or whatever. Um, but I want to get, I want to go out with a bang on that, and so far it's just a whimper, you know? Anyway, I digress here on that. So if you want to check out some of the old Parareality videos that I did, just go to parareality.com, click on the extras tab, and you can see some of the uh, videos that I did for my very short-lived internet television show. Um, I update that every so often, and uh, I only did a dozen shows, so um, you know, just not not a lot for me to put on there. Um, but I try to post some other interesting videos and everything. Anyway, you can. Uh, Go to parareality.com, like I said, click on the Extras tab, and that'll take you where you can watch um, some show videos. You can join the official Parareality Radio Forum and uh, shop in the official Parareality Radio Store. And like I said, every dime that is uh, earned off of that 
goes, it's pumped right back into producing this show. I don't make any money off of that whatsoever. And also, don't forget to look me up on Facebook. That's Sandman.Parareality there on Facebook. Once again, Sandman.Parareality on Facebook. You can also uh, listen to the show from Facebook if you want to. And uh, you can find out uh, more about what's going on behind the scenes and in the world of Parareality. And I know I mentioned this at the top of the show. Um, I haven't been that active on Facebook for the last couple of months. I've been uh, focusing on other things, but I'm going to be getting back to Facebook here in a little while. And and, uh, if you've sent me a friend request and I haven't gotten, haven't responded to that, don't, don't worry. I'm not ignoring you. I just, uh, I probably got about, uh, I would say a hundred friend requests that I have to go through and, and, uh, check all you guys out. So, uh, I appreciate your patience, and I'm sorry I haven't been that active on there for a while. You know, I'm one-man show here, and sometimes uh, you get a little bit behind on some stuff. So uh, I got behind on some stuff. I don't know how else to put it, just uh, running behind. So I will be updating my Facebook page here in the next uh, few days, and um, I'll be responding to all of the friend requests starting just as soon as I possibly can. It may take me a little while to um, peruse through all you guys that have been sending me friend requests, but uh, like I said, I appreciate your patience, and uh, don't give up on me yet. I'm working on it. So, uh, everybody, like I said, that does it for this episode of Parareality Radio. The uh, next show is going to be available for download on Friday, April the 3rd, 2015. I'm going to have my first guest of 2015, in the studio. He is actually a return guest, a repeat offender, if you will. It's Mr. John Harrison, and uh, I had him on last April for Skeptics Night, and uh, I called him up and asked him if he would be interested in in, kind of making this like maybe a a regular thing for a little while, and he said, sure, he would love to come back on the show. So, uh, April Skeptics Night one-year anniversary of the, of the Skeptics Night Show. So uh, I think every April for a while, as long as he's willing to do it, we're going to have Mr. Harrison back, and we're going to do a Skeptics Night. So uh, Friday, April the 3rd, 2015, special in-studio guest, first guest of the year, is going to be Mr. John Harrison, and we're going to have Skeptics Night. So we're going to be talking about a lot of good things, just whatever uh, we happen to be having on our minds at that point in time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out on Friday, April the 3rd, 2015. Everyone, I hope that this radio program opens your minds up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening and I will see you again on Friday, April 3rd for Skeptics Night. Going to leave you with some Elton John and Rocket Man. Good night, everybody. She packed my bags last night pre-flight Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. <laughs>
And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long time 